Today we're continuing our series, Here Comes a Comeback. As we come back from all the challenges of 2020, uh, we're looking at people from the Bible who had major comebacks. But before we dig in, I'd like to share some of my favorite memes, 2020 memes, uh, from this past week. I love this one. This is the first thing you see through the window early in the morning. What do you do? Thank 2020 for its, for its consistency. Here's one for all you Star Trek fans. Uh, why aren't there handles on doors anymore? Wesley, it's time I tell you about the year 2020. Here's another one I love with a mounted deer head. For the health and safety of all, please wear your mask properly. Improper, 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 there's the proper one uh, for how you wear that mask. And here's a Christmas ornament one, uh, 2020, wouldn't recommend. Now let's hold that there uh, for just a moment because uh, I want you to know that even though Christmas is going to be a little bit different, we're not going to have a journey to Bethlehem, we're not going to have to come celebrate Christmas, but I've been in meetings this week where we are planning to make Christmas as special as possible. And I don't know about you, but how many of you are ready for Christmas to get here? I say we started right now and just say goodbye to 2020 and look to uh, 2021, but we we are in the process of having a great Christmas uh, season here at Purpose Church, and we can uh, look forward to that. But here's my favorite one. Uh, Kimberly, my wife, sent this to me. Here's 2020. It's a cocoon, and there's 2021, and it's going to be a butterfly. And our church is being used by God to help our community make a comeback from a cocoon to a butterfly, from a larva to a butterfly. And our church is in the midst of doing that. Just this week, I heard someone say that they've never seen a church as involved in their community as Purpose Church. And I was so proud uh, to hear those words. And here's just an example of it. The mayor of Pomona, Tim Sandoval, just formed a seven-person task force to work with the new chief of police, Mike Ellis, uh, here in Pomona, to build stronger relationships between law enforcement and our community. A seven-person uh, task force or commission uh, to do that. And two of the seven people on that task force our pastors at our church, uh, Pastor Tomiko Chacon, uh, who is doing the hosting today, and Pastor Eric Vasquez, who just did the video announcements. And so let's be in prayer for uh, Pastor Tomiko and for Pastor Eric as they, along with you, as part of Purpose Church, are helping our community uh, to make a comeback. Well, today we're going to look at Manasseh, the man who came back from a life of sin. And if you have ever struggled with God's forgiveness, uh, you're, you just have this problem with feeling that God could forgive you for certain things in your past or certain things that you've done or, or said. If you've ever struggled with the concept of the forgiveness of God for everything in your life, you are not watching this by accident. You are here by divine appointment. God appointed you to watch this message because that is exactly what the story of Manasseh is going to help you with. And here's what you're going to say by the end of this. You're going to see how you're going to see how if God can forgive Manasseh, he can forgive anyone. And if God can give Manasseh a new purpose in life, he can do that for anyone. He can give you 
a comeback. And God invited you to watch that today, to hear that message, to feel that message, to know that message that God can give you a a comeback. If he can do it for Manasseh, he can do it for you. Here's our map we used last Sunday of the divided kingdom. Remember last Sunday we talked about how in Syria, the commander of the Syrian forces, Naaman, went to the king of Israel where Elisha was to get a healing from leprosy. Well, here are the southern Jew, and this is all Israel today. But the southern part of Israel, it was divided at this point, was called Judah. And so Manasseh was a king of Judah from 697 B.C. to 642 B.C. Now, Manasseh's father, Hezekiah, was called the second Solomon. They called his dad, Hezekiah, the second Solomon. That is a good thing. But they called Manasseh, he was called the Ahab of Judah, That was a bad thing. That was not a compliment. Ahab was the most wicked king in the northern part in Israel in all of Israel's history. And so they called Manasseh, he was called the Ahab of Judah. Uh, That is not a good thing. That was a bad thing, and he had a bad start in life. Number one, he sold himself, uh, he sold himself out to demon worship. Uh, Now, parents, I just want to give you a heads up. These first two points, just the first two points, and then we're home free, you may want to distract your children. And then after these first two points, we should be home free, but I just want to give you that uh, heads up. So let's pick it up with verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 55 years. Uh, Verse 2, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. Let's go back to verse two for just a second. Um, This is an interesting, ironic thing. And it's true of, of Christ followers in our culture as well. The Israelites had been used by God to drive out the nations because of their detestable practices. And some of them we're gonna see in just a moment. But now they begin to do the very things that they were used by God to judge the previous nations for. And you know, there's this tendency for us that follow Jesus to look around at our culture and to be jealous of certain things that are done in our culture, even though we see the results of of a life of sin. We see the destruction, the heartache, the despair that it brings. And yet somehow, even though we see that, we still want to copy it. We still are are envious of it. We want to be like the culture around us. We want to copy the culture around us. And the same thing was true for uh, Israel, uh, Judah, the nation of Judah under Manasseh. Is that here God had used the nation of Israel to drive out these nations, to judge them because of their detestable practices, but now they start doing those very same things. Let's go on to verse 3. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had demolished. He also erected altars to the Baals and made Asherah poles. These were the idols of that time. He bowed down to all the starry hosts. He worshiped the the stars in the heaven rather than the God that made those stars. So he worshiped everything they saw in the starry host rather than worshiping the one who made the starry host. Uh, He was involved in astrology and letting um, the stars guide your future rather than looking to God to guide your life. He built altars in the temple of the Lord of which the Lord had said, my name will remain in Jerusalem forever. 
In both courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry, uh, to all the starry host. Now here's the second thing he did. Manasseh sacrificed his children to Satan. Uh, it says in verse six, he sacrificed his children in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. He sacrificed his children in the fire. Now this is just something to remember when you struggle with the whole concept of Old Testament warfare. And you know I've preached on this several times. You can go to the archives of, of, of the preaching sermons that I've done and you'll see that every few years I preach about the problem of Old Testament warfare because it offends a lot of people how uh, the, God used the armies of Israel to bring judgment on the Canaanite nations there when they displaced them in the Promised Land. And, and that bothers us because there's so much violence. Somehow when God brings judgment directly, like Noah with the flood, or like uh, fire and brimstone with Sodom and Gomorrah, somehow we're more comfortable when God does it directly. But when he uses an army, like he did with the Israeli army, somehow that makes us less comfortable. But we've got to remember that the Canaanites were doing horrific things. They were sacrificing their children in the fire, there was child sacrifice going on. And that is just one of the many terrible things and injustices and horrific things that the Canaanites were doing. And so God used the nation of Israel to bring judgment on them. A good analogy would be, maybe you've read about how the Allied army, as they uh, defeated Nazi Germany, and as they took over territory, they would free victims of the Holocaust from the internment camps. And they would come across camps like Auschwitz. And when they saw the horrific condition of the prisoners and how they've been treated, sometimes they just couldn't stop themselves and wait for a trial for those soldiers. They'd pull the guards out and line them up and just shoot them uh, because they just want to bring immediate judgment to that situation. Now, they shouldn't have done that. They should have waited for trials like the Nuremberg trials and, and other trials, but they just couldn't stop themselves. Now, they may have been wrong, but we certainly sympathize with that emotion. And when you think of Israel bringing judgment on these Canaanites and what they were doing, think of the Allied troops bringing judgment on the Nazis for the Holocaust camps, the camps of the Holocaust and the Jewish internment camps. That's a similar thing going on here. And I know that doesn't answer every question. If you want to get one of my sermons to dig deeper into that, I encourage you to do that. And yet it does give us an understanding of what was going on. He was sacrificed. Now Manasseh begins to copy the practices of the nations that have been driven out. He sacrificed his children in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, practiced divination and witchcraft, sought omens. This is why as a Christ follower, don't mess with horoscopes. Don't mess with astrology. Uh, not astronomy, I'm talking about astrology. Uh, don't mess with Ouija boards or anything to do with the occult or the demonic. He sought omens and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing, arousing God's anger. And then the third thing that Manasseh did is he desecrated the temple. Verse seven, he took the image he had made and put it in, took an idol and put it in God's holy temple of which God had said to David and to his son Solomon, in this temple and in Jerusalem, which I've chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name there uh, forever. I will not again make the feet of the Israelites leave the land assigned to your ancestors, if only, if only they obey God. 
You see, so many times we think, oh, all things eventually going to work out for good. No, they're not. A lot of people are going to end up in hell. A lot of things are not going to work out for good. When you live a life of disobedience, your life will not work out for good in the end. Uh, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to those that love God and that are called according to his purposes. And so he says to them, things will work out for the good if only they will be careful to do everything I commanded them concerning all the laws, decrees, and regulations given through Moses. If they are obedient, things work out well. But if they are disobedient, if we are disobedient, things do not work out well. The number four, he influenced others to follow Satan. He didn't just follow Satan himself. He influenced others to do the same. Verse nine, but Manasseh led Judah and the people of Jerusalem astray. He went the wrong way. He led others astray as well. So that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. Let's just hold that there for a second. They did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed by the Israelites and brought judgment by the Israelites. They went even beyond those that they displaced in the promised land. Uh, Jesus warned about this in Luke 17. Uh, Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Particularly be careful about if our example causes um, either young Christians uh, to stumble and, and, and to go the wrong way or children. Be so careful that our example doesn't lead other people astray. Jesus warned us about that. And then number five, he resisted godly confrontation. It says in verse 10, the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. God warned them, but they paid no attention. We say, well, how did God warn them? Did he speak directly to them? Well, he did it through his prophets. Second uh, Kings 21, verse 10, the Lord said through his servants, the prophets. Uh, Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these detestable sins. He has done more evil than the Amorites who preceded him and has led Judah into sin with his idols. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I'm going to bring such disaster on Jerusalem and Judah that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. And then number six, he promoted injustice. Uh, in Kings, it says, moreover, Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood, unjust, injustice. He shed so much innocent blood that he felled Jerusalem from end to end. And then number seven, as a result, Manasseh brought disaster on himself and on the nation of Judah. His disobedience, his sin brought disaster not only on himself and his own family, but on the nation of Judah, the entire nation. It says in verse 11, so the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh prisoner, put a hook in his nose. Now this could be figuratively, but it could be literal, because the Assyrians were known for their cruelty. And we believe most possibly they actually put a hook in his nose, bound him with bronze shackles, 
and took him to Babylon. Now, aren't you glad you're, you're watching and joining us on this church service here today? Hasn't this been fun? Hasn't this been uplifting? Okay, hang with me, all right? Hang with me, because here comes a comeback. Here comes a comeback. Happened for Manasseh, it can happen for you as well. Number one, in his trouble, he finally sought God. In Manasseh's time of trouble, he finally sought after God. It says in verse 11, in his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord his God. Now you notice, it doesn't say in, not in his success, but in his distress. Oh, I wish it said in his success. I wish success brought about greater awareness of God and sensitivity to the things of God, and sometimes it does, but I'm telling you, I've uh, observed and I found in my own life that, oh my, for every time that maybe success brings me closer to God, uh, there's a hundred times when distress uh, makes me pay more attention to the things of God. Not in his success, but in his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestors. Here's the one thing I want you to take away from this message. If God can forgive Manasseh, he can forgive you. If God can forgive Manasseh, he can forgive you. Going on to verse 13, and when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty. Oh my goodness, if that were me, I would not be moved by his entreaty. My heart would be cold stone hard. It would say, you know, Manasseh, you've just done too much. You've gone too far. No second chances for you, Manasseh. But aren't you glad that Glenn Gunderson's not the God of the universe? I am. <laughs> aren't you glad that our God is the God of the universe? And our God has a loving, compassionate, sensitive heart to those that humble themselves before him. And when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. If God can forgive Manasseh, he can forgive you. First John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Micah 7, another prophet who prophesied around this time, said, who is a God like you who pardons sins and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will treat our, tread our sins underfoot and hurl, hurl all of our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham. These were the, the forefathers, uh, the, the originators of the nation of Israel. You'll be faithful to Israel, uh, to the nation of Israel once again as you pledged on oath 
to our ancestors in days long ago. The writer of Hebrews writes, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, sprinkled with the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with uh, pure water. Goes on to say, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And then the second thing, Manasseh spent the remainder of his life doing good. If God can forgive Manasseh, he can forgive you. And if he, he, if he can give Manasseh a new purpose in life, a new reason to live, he can do the same for you. Verse 14, afterward he rebuilt the outer wall of the city of David, west of the Gihon Spring and the valley, as far as the entrance of the fish gate and encircling the hill of Ophel. He also made it much higher. He stationed military commanders in all the fortified cities in, in Judah. Uh, it says that he, he did a rebuilding project. He did a restoration project. And you know, there's a little principle uh, through this period in Israel's history that the better shape the temple was in, the, the more the, uh, the temple, temple was kept up to date and refurbished and, and rebuilt and renewed uh, through the generations, it was a symbol of the condition of the hearts of Israel in their relationship with God. And so the better shape the temple was in, the better shape their relationship with God was in. And you know, that's true for us as well. That's why when COVID is finally over, and we're gonna finally celebrate our 150th anniversary and we're, we're gonna do it with a vitality of ministry that only 10 other churches in all of American, possibly even all of world history have ever experienced what we've experienced here at our church. And we're gonna celebrate that when this thing is all over. And one of the ways we're gonna celebrate it is by renewing the temple, this worship center that I'm standing in, uh, to get it refurbished, to get it renewed. It's 30 years old and, and, and to get it refreshed. And then the E-building right over here, we're gonna completely renew it so that it's, it's, it's cutting edge for reaching children for Christ and students for Christ and, and our, our student and children's ministry is gonna be over there and we're gonna refurbish it to reach uh, the next generation and to continue to serve God for the next 150 years until Jesus comes back as we've served him faithfully for the last 150 because we want our, our facilities to show, to demonstrate the condition of our heart still on fire for Jesus after 150 years as a church. It says he got rid of the foreign gods and removed the image from the temple of the Lord as well as all the altars he had built on the temple hill and in Jerusalem. And he threw them, he threw them out of the city. Then he restored the altar of the Lord and sacrificed fellowship offerings and thank offerings on it and told Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, were there still consequences for the, the sinful period in Manasseh's life? Absolutely. And this is a warning to us. Uh, Judah had crossed a red line during the reign of Manasseh that they never came back from. 56 years later, after the death of Manasseh, 56 years later, 
the Babylonians, what is today the nation of Iraq, they came and completely destroyed Jerusalem. And the prophets at that time, 586 BC, the prophets at that time pointed back to the reign of Manasseh as the time when the nation of Judah had hit a point of no return. And so there still were consequences. Uh, there was forgiveness, but there were still consequences. If I go out and get drunk tonight and hit a tree, drive my car, uh, get drunk, drive my car, hit a tree, and have my leg amputated, God will forgive me. If I ask him, he will forgive me, but my leg won't grow back. Forgiveness, yes, but consequences will continue. And you know, young adults, can I just say a word to you? This is what Kimberly and I prayed for our six children, and it's what I pray for you. No permanent damage during any time in your life when you might drift from God. The best thing is to never drift from God, to serve him from whatever point you commit your life to Christ, to serve him from that time forward and never drift to that commitment. Because if you drift from God during your young adult years, God will forgive you when you come back to him. He'll do that. But the decisions that you make during that time when you drifted and didn't follow God as enthusiastically as before, decisions made during that time are going to live with you into your middle years, into middle age. I mean, your decision of who you marry, um, an addiction that you might pick up during this time, a sexual bonding with someone other than your future spouse, lost opportunity. These are things that you will carry with you into your, into your middle years. Even if you return to God and ask for forgiveness, he will forgive you. But, but consequences may continue. Now, many times God takes care of the consequences, and it's amazing how your marriage can be restored and how your, your purpose can be renewed, and, and, and God is so merciful. But sometimes some of those consequences, some of those choices live with you and hinder you in the years ahead. So stay fervent for Christ. From the point you commit your life to him, follow him with all your heart from that day forward so that you not only have his forgiveness, but you, you have his blessing on you and a minimum of consequences because sin always hurts. Sin always brings some kind of consequences with it. Now, one additional verse that's not in your study outline, but I just wanted to go one verse further. It says in verse 17, the people, however, continued to sacrifice at the high places but only to the Lord their God. Now let's just hold that there for a moment. If you read through this section of scripture, it'll drive you crazy. Because <laughs> so many times they'll say, Israel or Judah began to seek after God and they completely followed him except for the high places. And we're not exactly sure what they were, but they were little pockets of disobedience. They'd either continue to worship idols at these high places or sometimes like in Manasseh's reign here, they will worship the one true God, but they'll do it in a place where they shouldn't do it. So they'll kind of kind of obey God, but they'll only partially obey God. And they'll hold on 
to a little area of disobedience. So let me give a challenge to everybody, starting with myself. This, this part of the message is for me, and if you want to listen in, that's great. Uh, Glenn, what are the little areas of your life where you hold on to a little bit of disobedience? Why not let Jesus go into that area, into that closet in your life, and, and, and clean that thing out, clean that closet out, and get rid of that little area of disobedience you're still holding on to so that you can fully be used by God to the full potential of what he wants to do in and through you. Now, the Manasseh of the New Testament, Manasseh is the best comeback, I think, from sin in the Old Testament. The, best, the Manasseh of the New Testament was the Apostle Paul. And I love uh, these uh, verses uh, from, from Timothy that Paul wrote about his previous life and his uh, comeback. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. Even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ in my insolence, I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and in unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord God was. He filled me with the faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. When you see the example of Paul, when you see the example of Manasseh, how God forgave them, turned them around, gave them a comeback, a new reason to be alive, a new, a new passion, a, a new plan, a new purpose, he can do the same for you. So would you pray with me right now silently as I pray out loud? Uh, three phrases, sorry, thank you, and please. First of all, just like Manasseh did, and just like Paul did, we repent. We say, God, I'm sorry for the sin in my life. It said that Manasseh humbled himself. He finally came around and humbled himself. Oh God, I am sorry. Just pray with me. God, I'm sorry for the sin that I've done against you and against other people. And then thank you. Thank you, God, for your grace, for your mercy. Thank you, Jesus, for your death on the cross so that I could be forgiven. Thank you that you're a merciful God. And now, oh God, please come into my heart. Cleanse me of my sin. Jesus, be my Savior. And from this day forward, give me a new purpose. Lead me, guide me, be my king, be my leader, be my Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's family said, amen.